This show is sponsored by Paris Green, a curated collection of incredible objects from around the world. Paris is always a good idea. 77 Oak Street, Ashland, Oregon. Visit them online at Facebook. Hello, everybody. So glad you came into this store. We got such nice, pretty new items for you. Special for you. More hats. Look at all these hats. They're so French. C'est magnifique. You look unbelievable in these hats. If you look over here, we have all these beautiful fabric tulips. They look so real. I can't believe they're not real. And you don't have to water them. You don't have to do anything. Put them in a beautiful vase and they're good to go for as long as you want to, you know, dust them off once in a while. Come to Paris Green, 77 Oak Street, Ashland, Oregon. It's the grooviest place in town. I would not lie to you because I am not a liar. See you soon. Bye-bye. I am Citizen 44. The mystic bells ring out the message. Danger lurks in the darkness of the day. Hey, Dad. What's all the honking out there? What's going on? There is a protest. And what is the protest? Uh, well, f it, from what it looks like, it's about the um, shooting in Florida at the high school. Indivisible order ORD2. Indivisible ORD2. Yeah, I'm not exactly sure. It's a demonstration to show their solidarity in their unhappiness with the way we keep losing children to sick people and the sick people are not being taken care of clearly and that's why they're killing other people wouldn't that be a reasonable assumption yeah so is the problem guns or is the problem sick people i think the problem is sick people so, i think that the guns as you said earlier before we turn the mic on is a secondary issue uh, i agree with you on that yeah what do we really need guns for anyway uh, in the Constitution, the Second Amendment, that uh, citizens can own and carry firearms, depend open carry depending on where you are. Um, yeah. I think that is a good thing because it shows that citizens have more rights than other countries that just kind of trust. Like, the citizens don't have to just trust their government to um, take care of them or whatever, and it's a good way of um, making sure that the government doesn't get too power-hungry, and that's what it was originally uh, intended for. Yeah, but some of that stuff is such old legislation based on specific times of the way things were. Don't you think we need to kind of reassess our agreements that we have and come up with things that are based on who we are now, not who we were hundreds of years ago? We have a lot more powerful firearms there now. There you go, that's what I'm talking but about, we didn't, subjectivity. We didn't only have muskets. We, do, we had more than one chamber rounds, and we had double flint locks. It's a lot easier to take out a lot of people in a couple of seconds now than it was back then when you could only pretty much have a single shooter that only went so far and was so accurate during the time of creating that document. Yeah, and it's not like the document holds up for everything now. So well, Exactly. So that's what I'm saying is, when do we re-examine something that may not actually work with human beings as we are now, especially in the United States? I, I think it is a problem, and it does have to do with some of the weapons, but 
a lot of the weapons aren't military weapons. The weapon that was used in Florida is an AR-15, which is not a military weapon. Well, we're not talking about military weapons. Well, it, we're meaning talking about it's automatic weapons. AR-15 is a um, semi-automatic. Semi-automatic, whatever. How many bullets can you fire off in ten seconds? Uh, quite a few. Okay, to me, that's the relevancy. It's not take ten paces, turn around, and shoot at the guy with a musket ball that's got very low accuracy. We're talking about any idiot can go in and literally fire off tons of rounds without batting an eye and taking out a lot of people. I agree that it is a problem, but I think rather than taking away the guns, we should have a lot more background checks before people get the guns. Because if someone's going to get a gun, they have to go through a background check. No, they don't. They can buy it off the street from some junkie who's got a gun who needs money for heroin. Well, you can't regulate that with that's the government. Right. So that's right. Well, that's part of the problem. This is not about legal gun purchases. This is not about a young man who calmly goes into a store, presents his documentation, and calmly walks out and then walks into a high school the next day and mows people down. People can get any gun they want anywhere they want whenever they want, can't they? Just like drugs. You can get whatever you want, pretty much whatever you want, if you have the money. Yeah. He figured out where to find that gun. Did they ever say where that gun came from? I don't exactly know. I don't know if it had a serial number or not, but I I haven't looked into that, no. I mean, we've been doing the gun thing for a long time. It's not that hard to get a gun. It's not hard to get anything. It's not hard to get anything anymore. So, again, what is going to be the thing? What kind of activity do we need to get involved with? to clean up this need to think that you need to go get a gun and kill a bunch of kids in a high school. Supporting mental health in regulated in school. I think it would be good to have, you know, normal checkups for students that are showing signs of mental health issues like depression or anything that could lead to someone having a not clear head and having issues like issues enough to think of even doing something like that. How do you that. know though? You have to actually monitor everybody. You can't just monitor some strange little behavior that maybe tick you off. What about the one that doesn't exhibit a whole lot and is a quiet kid and just does his work and then one day just loses it and comes in and takes care of business like that? How do you account for that? It's not like people don't show signs before. It's more of an issue of people ignoring the signs and just going on with their day. So I think it should be brought to people's attention what the signs uh, of those thoughts are and how to stop people from committing an act of terror like that. Why do you think they commit that act of terror? What do you think pushes them that far? It's being pushed over and over and over again, whether it's being bullied in school by teachers or students or not having a good social life, and it's re- repetition of that for a long what period of parents? time. What about what's going on in your home? About, that too, yeah. About if you're getting beaten all the time or your dad's an alcoholic <laughs> or your parents are drug addicts and you have a terrible home life. What do you do about that when you go to school? It's difficult to say exactly what the solution for that is because you'd have to get uh, Child Protective Services involved, and that's a different story, really. I don't remember where I read this, and don't quote me if I'm wrong I won't quote you if you're wrong. (laughs) But uh, almost every single one of the um, school shooters in the past couple years has been on the same medication for um, anxiety and... um, depression, like the same medication, and I think that's just kind of unignorable. It's not like when people were saying, oh yeah, video games make you crazy because every person that's shot up a school has played video games, because that's a lot more of a wide market, and I don't think that violent media has anything to do with it anymore, or I, I don't think that's ever been the case.
You don't think it numbs society a little bit when you see things and make them acceptable visually? I don't think it makes people numb to it. I think that if something like that were to happen to you and you saw something like that in real... That's I think That's right. It's, it's a lot different. Are you're not going to. So when you see that, it's not so bothersome until it does affect you personally, until something happens that involves you or gets close to you. But typically, I, no, I, I think we're pretty numb to violence and war and all those things. I think it's less of being numb and more just it happening so many times, especially with the mass shootings in the past. It's happened so many times that we just can't keep track of all of them, and we just kind of ignore them and go on with our lives and that's part of the problem is that everybody is just kind of ignoring it and then moving on after a while aren't ignoring it those people are standing out there because they want something to change but is that the majority of people that's the whole thing nobody's asking us what we want really are they mm-hmm. not really is no. anybody asking our advice for what to do no isn't this our problem yeah well shouldn't we be involved with cleaning it up yeah so what do we do I don't know. Okay, well, that's a problem. The I don't know is a big problem. And it's a lot. But you're growing up in this age of wildness and uh, uh, lack of accountability and not knowing. So what's going to happen if this continues on this way? And you can look at it the same way as climate change. We know it's happening. We see the effects of it. What are we doing about it? Same thing. We see all these things that are actually problems that we've created. This is not something that's been imposed on us. This is our problem. This is a human problem. So if this is the case, and we see these repetitive cycles of problems, but we can't seem to get a handle on it, what does that mean for you? Uh, it means my generation and the generation past will be be a lot more difficult growing up and finding work. And it just life in general will be a lot more difficult if we don't solve issues now. So did you watch the video I sent you called The Third Industrial Revolution? I watched part of it, and then I had to do the laundry. And how much of it did you watch? Uh, 25 minutes-ish. And what'd you get out of 25 minutes? Uh, I got that this dude was like, this is kind of how uh, things could be. and it's well, mo- he's doing it. He's not yeah. could be. He's in Germany converting their whole thing because Germany's always been in the forefront of science. And so they've taken it on themselves, and they've asked Jeremy Rifkin to come and convert them over. And China too. China too is spending billions of dollars on individual projects now to convert their infrastructure to be totally digital. So you didn't see the whole thing. It really requires your attention to the whole thing. But it seems reasonable. And the most, I think, exciting part is it's going to give you guys jobs for the next 20 years. But what happens after 20 years? Well, you'll do other stuff. Don't look at the mountain over there. You've got to take steps. You can't look at how to get up there. You cannot look at how long it's going to take to get to the top. you got to take one step at a time. So that's what he's doing is he's putting us in motion to take the steps. If we can get 20 years worth of work for the world, that's great. We don't have to worry about anything after that. Let's get to that and put people to work who are not working now. Everybody can be working to build this new infrastructure. And he said the third world countries are even in better shape because there's nothing there and you can start from scratch and build great stuff off the cuff. With what resources? Whatever we bring over there to get it done. But it does take money and time to bring things over and ship. We're going to do that. And the most expensive part of operating in the U.S. is trucks going back and forth and spending money on all that infrastructure for transportation. Did you see the three guys that were mapping out Germany's roads for the self-driving cars? You see what they're doing? 
Uh, no. It was awesome. I started crying. Three guys in these super modern 18-wheel semis, like super modern. Mm -hmm. And they're all driving, and they're looking at all this cool digital computer stuff. And all three of them at the same time lifted their hands up. And what those trucks are doing is they're scanning every nook and cranny on the roads. So we can have this automatic transportation that cuts all the spending down on shipping things back and forth. It's, it's the most expensive part of running this country is shipping things back and forth. Well, what are you going to do for the truck drivers? What, what jobs are they going to have now? But we're going to need people to run the technology, to run the vehicles, not sit in them, but to make sure everything's running smoothly. And it's going to take a lot of people to build the thing that's going to make it so they can do that. And that's what he's talking about is two decades of work is to build all the shit that needs to be built so this stuff can all run. And it's not going to run on the current infrastructure, which is good, which means we have to kind of start again. And I'm super excited that it's on the table and he's talking to your generation. He's not talking to me. Yeah. So all these people out there are honking because they're showing solidarity. There's a lot of people out here. This is people that care. They only come out because they care and they have children and grandchildren. And to see children mowed down, which is part of this whole avoidable, unavoidable, that's avoidable. But what is standing the street going to do? It's doing more than doing nothing. It's telling people that you want to do something about it. It's trying to gather strength. If you said that to Martin Luther King, what is walking down Selma? What is walking down the bridge going to do? What is standing out protesting do? It's what you're supposed to do as a human being if you're dissatisfied with what's going on. It's why they wrote the Declaration of Independence. So you go out there and you say, no fucking way, you can't do it anymore. That's what that document was designed to do. Fix what they created knowing that what they created was going to fall apart. Sam, it was great that you came on the show a little bit. It's been a while since uh, anybody's heard your voice. Mm -hmm. I, know, I know you haven't actually listened to the shows in a long time. What's the last show you heard? Was uh, uh, what's the one right after the one that I was on? I don't even know which one you were on. Who was the person? I was on the same one as uh, Scott Malcolm. Oh, so you're on Scott. Okay, that was the first one. That was uh, show number 28. Eight. First show after coming back from Thailand. Yeah. Anyway, all right. I love you, son. Love you too. Okay, see you later. Well, I'm just gonna stay here though. Yeah, I know, but I'm saying see you later on the show. Oh, for continuity? Yeah, all right. Well, not for continuity, just because I'm shutting off the mic, and when you say goodbye to somebody on the mic, you say, see you later. So does that mean that people that are mute just always are saying goodbye? Yes, constantly. Well, they can't say goodbye, they have to no, they wave have to goodbye. Wave. That's why people are waving like that. Well, what if, what if they're saying hi? You can't really tell the you difference. You still wave hello. Hello, goodbye. What's up, Travis? What's up, Mark? How you doing? My life is brilliant, as you are fully aware. I am totally aware. How are you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. Just been sitting here chatting with you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this was kind of an impromptu thing. Uh, we connected on the phone the past couple days, wanted to hook up. Yeah. 
I met you when I came back from Thailand when I was hanging out at this hostel for a few days. Yeah, the Ashland Commons. Yeah, that was a cool experience, man. That was. I remember when you came in, I think I was coming out of the room and you started talking. I was like, this guy's full of energy. He's just going on and talking about his travels through Thailand and what he's been up to. And he's a graphic designer. Yeah, man, you were pretty captivating. It was good to talk with you then. So right on. I wanted well, to keep that flow going. I enjoyed the conversation <laughs> and uh, I felt a really cool connection there at that space. And, and now I find out that you are uh, a Kundalini yoga instructor. That is correct. I actually edited a Kundalini yoga video and uh, I didn't know anything about it, but I know that this is a, a, a tool being in tune and uh, plugged into your own body. So can you tell us about, about that? Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely about keeping in tune with your body and, and being present in the present moment. I think it's a practice that requires commitment and dedication and devotion as well. The man who brought this technology and in, in this yoga to the West, Yogi Bhajan, always says that patience pays. And with committed practice and with patience and waking up every morning and doing what it takes, you know, to uplift yourself, to live a life of happiness and healthiness. So tell us how Kundalini Yoga works. What is the practice? It's about building and maintaining and creating energy. Kundalini is the serpent energy, the dormant energy that resides in the base of the spine, like the Shakti. And it travels up through the spine, through the Ida and Pingala, which are two nerves that flank the Shushuma, which is basically your central spinal nerve that runs up through the spinal column into the back of the brain. It looks like a double helix. It's about following instructions. If it says to do something for two minutes or 31 minutes, and you have to hold a specific posture and mudra and an eye gaze, you do it. It can't be taught any other way. You just have to respect that. This Kundalini works on the physical body, so it provides you with the energy. It activates the body's physical systems. You activate and work with the digestive system. You activate the central nervous system and the immune system, the glandular system, and all these things come together and they activate. And that tunes up the physical body and your nerve endings are regenerated and refreshed. So you hold a higher charge, hold a higher frequency. Frequencies that are coming in from the cosmos, frequencies that are here on the earth, all around you, you build up that energy and that energy is within. So you have to tap into your own internal physical energy, tune up your physical body, hold those higher frequencies, then you can work on the conscious and then the conscious is able to activate and move into a higher dimension of consciousness. They say that it works 16 times faster than Hatha as far as results. I think any practice is a good idea. It's just a matter of all those things bring about a benefit. It doesn't have to just be yoga. It doesn't have to be Kundalini. It could be restorative yoga. Just doing that may help release physical blocks in a specific part of the body and that may release the mental tension or emotional feeling that's associated with that because we store emotional energy into the physical body. I did an intensive training in San Diego. Typically, the certification for Kundalini is done through KRI, the Kundalini Research Institute. My training was not, it was done through the Yoga Alliance. My teachers, they were KRI certified but they wanted to offer trainings and so some other teachers there who studied with Yogi Bhajan as well, they're not KRI certified and they continue to publish and write books and teach and do workshops and things. Have you tried going home and doing this with your mom? 
it's crossed my mind. Yeah, you know, and it's funny because with mantra, that's where, and the nod, which is basically the sound and the sound current mantra, you know, repeating, chanting, japchi, which is the repetition of specific sounds. They have the capability to pin it in. Shake up and rewire, eliminate neuroses, negative thought patterns and behavior, phobia, depression, anxiety, all through the sound of your own voice. It's just an amazing thing in combination with the physical aspect and with, you know, meditation as well. But yeah, she totally could use this. I brought this up only because <laughs> we moments ago we were talking about your, yeah. and your family and all kinds of things. And, yeah. And that came up that she has some... Uh, some serious uh, traumatic conditions that need to be dealt with and she's suffering greatly yeah obviously no. yeah sounds like a trip home when you deal with the house thing exactly you could probably work with your mom a little bit yeah i think she i think did she, that ever occur to you to actually apply the that it has it's just a matter of just getting her to get into a comfortable place to do it yeah. just because there's so much fear of change i think even just in like a daily routine yeah i know i need to to knock that out. <laughs> well, that's kind of, it's just about helping your mom. I yeah, mean, no, totally. It's worth the whole show, frankly. Absolutely, yeah. No, going back there, when I do go back there and take care of a few things, guide her to a point where she can see the things that led to why the way she is in terms of having fear and phobias of being in small spaces, you know, like take her to that point so she can see it and then it's up to her to want to face it or turn away. You know, you can't force someone to do anything, but if I can at least get her to that point, Hopefully, I think she could maybe see it and that may relieve so much tension and I can't imagine being that uptight and just so many people either stuck in the past replaying the same stories over again and they completely bypass living in the present. Just to go back to Kundalini, that's where this technology comes in. You know, your brain is a CPU. It also comes with memory. It's RAM, wiring through the neural pathways. The human body and the brain is just like a computer and it has to be provided with software updates. With yoga and different types of practices like martial arts, those bring you and upgrade the physical body and the mental and emotional bodies in the brain. I think we are going in that direction of change. Well, Dr. Rick said something very interesting that I couldn't argue with, which was perhaps the design of what's been created for us was meant for us to continually strive to do better but there is no end result. There just is us striving to do better and that we will probably never achieve any kind of utopic ending. But the goal is for man to constantly challenge himself to be a better person. True that. Be your best self. There are three steps. You know, I commit to what I'm gonna do and I make sure I'm dedicated to that commitment and that practice or whatever it is. And then I have to be devoted to it, meaning that that practice has to be devout. You know, it has to come with integrity. You have to really want to create internal happiness because that's where it comes from. I think another thing that's missing that's not taught is how to build self-love. Too many people look outside. You want to have the energy and the vitality and the happiness and the self-love and you want to have a really good relationship with yourself. Otherwise, if it's chaotic, your external projection and relationships are going to be chaotic. We need to pour our resources into each other, into people and take care of each other. We have to know our role on this planet. You know, we are the tenants of this earth. We play a massive role in the biosphere, hands down. And I think if we can look to that 
and start to give back and start to reestablish the balance between the planet we live on and ourselves and our connection to the planet and our connection to each other at the end of the day because that is just not happening. We need a heart-to-heart -heart connection. And you know what? I think things could maybe start to look a lot better off than where they're at. Let's hope. What are you doing here in town now? <laughs> um, man, I'm just hanging out. Yeah, okay. Yeah, good. you know? So uh, trying to wait for some things to come together. So I had uh, some money set aside to stay here for a month. I found a little cheap spot and I have some plans that I'd like to uh, start to implement, but I'm also just trying to stay in the flow and not trying to push too many things. And, right. you know, so I'm just here kind of seeing what kind of opportunities come up, you know, for now. Yeah. I know there's a place that offers Kundalini maybe Saturday and Sunday. So I was going to give that a try this weekend. Um, I actually met a couple of the women who were teaching there back in December when I arrived and I saw them at a place just here in downtown. And, Struck up a quick conversation and told him that I'd drop in, but I just, you know, haven't had the time to get right. there. So, yeah, I'm going to try it this weekend and, and, you know, reintroduce myself and see if there's any opportunity to share what I have to offer up in, in Ashland as well. Had an opportunity to come talk to you today and now we're sitting How about in front that? of each other. Crazy, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, you added a lot of value to the show. I appreciate it. Yeah, I like thank your perspective. You. And uh, I think the Kundalini thing, the yoga thing, the self-practice thing yeah. about going internally and stop looking outside for everything that we need is, is a good practice. Absolutely. Yeah. Right, the treasure's inside, man. It's good to see you, Travis. <laughs> good to see you, brother. Enjoy the rest of your day, man. Thank you. You too. All right. See you. Please listen carefully. Hey everybody, Mark Ahrensberg here. Welcome to Citizen 44. This is show number 33. You know, the 33 and the 44, they've got some uh, pretty strong symbolism. I see the 3-3 all the time as well. A lot of people on the show today. My son Sam has made a return, a visit back. Been a while, had been a while. And then uh, my buddy Travis popped over, had a little uh, green gift for me. And uh, we decided to sit down, and I found out a whole bunch more about Travis. Good cat. He just left, went back east. Connor and I spoke about four or five days ago. Uh, he's in Thailand. It's been uh, almost two weeks. He's having a fantastic time. Swatty cup, Connor. Really, he is just loving it. He showed me his messy high school-looking apartment that he's sharing with his girlfriend. And uh, he's eating good food, and he's... Uh, you know, playing in waterfalls and doing all kinds of fun stuff. Uh, and by the way, not only was that his first trip out of the country, that was his first airplane ride. So Connor had never even been on an airplane before taking off uh, with an undetermined uh, amount of time stay in uh, the land of smiles. So uh, more hats off to you, Connor. And uh, yeah, I miss you too. He sent me a message, he's having a lot of fun and he's teaching people to play Uno, as I recommended, to make friends. And uh, that's how I kind of sealed the deal with my first girlfriend, Pantip. Seems to be kind of the opener, the soft, friendly thing that uh, no matter what your language barrier may be, Uno's the game. Uh, Uno, everybody, it could save the world. I also have Dave Mayer on the show, Dave's daughter, Ashley Marie Mayer is uh, a Southern Oregon resident. Uh, I discovered that uh, Dave was trying to help his daughter through uh, a campaign on Facebook to collect uh, bottles and cans, cover 
her expenses associated with dialysis and and uh, finding a uh, donor kidney. And so uh, I invited Dave to come on over and uh, chat it up. So Dave's here. And of course, the ever popular and uh, delightful Pippi Kitely is here. She is so adorable and just such a nice lady. I've known her a long time. Feels like forever, really, honestly. One of those people in town that I've kind of known since the get-go. A fellow burner, uh, someone who does body work and massage, very thoughtful, two adorable children, much loved in our little shire here. And uh, so Pippi came in and, and was Pippi all over me. So that's what we got going on. It's a fun show, and uh, I'm glad you're here. Show number 33. This show number 33, I present to you on 3-3. I have nothing to do with lining things up, and I did want a little break, you know, just to do some other things. This show that you're listening to, I'm doing this really because uh, there's information that I'm receiving that does no good if I'm the only one who's aware of it. And if you glean anything from any of these conversations or any of the information, then this show is a success. That's really all it's about. I'm here to share. You know, we're taught as children to share, so I'm trying to do what my mom taught me. I don't really remember if she did or not. She may not have taught me to share, and she might have actually told me to hit. Um, No, probably not. Anywho, that's the point of the show. I'm here to share, and uh, this is the thing. This is what I'm doing. So here we go. So your friends all call you Pip? Some call me Pip, some call me Pippi, and I think more it's mostly family that call me Karen Uh, and clients these days. And why again Pippi Longstocking? She's my archetype. What does that mean? Strongest little girl in the world. You do massage locally in town? Is that your your main financial stream? That is. How's that going? Awesome. You gave me a massage once. Yeah. It was really good. Yay. It was in my last apartment. Mm-hmm. You actually came That's to my right. Apartment. That's a long time ago, yeah. too, for heaven's sake. Yeah, like maybe a couple of years ago, at least. Mm-hmm. More like five years Is ago, really? I'm guessing, yeah. Oh my. <laughs> What's up with you these days? What are you doing? I am also now a Brima instructor. Brima is a form of self-body work and self-understanding. If somebody's receiving Brima... They may or may not have had any input about what it is prior to, except for, uh, you know, maybe hearing me talk about it. But there definitely is a quality of touch or quality of being that I'm bringing to the situation that will also benefit them. What is it? Well, in the body work and in the self-primas, there's movements. and, And what the is of it is, is that I, as the Brima practitioner or the Brima instructor or just a Brima being, I'm focusing my mind on registering that I'm breathing and that I have body movement, body weight on the floor. Super basic, super simple. Everyone and anyone could tap into it who's alive. Where did it come from? Originally, the teacher came from the Middle East, Afghanistan. Uh, The practice of Brima doesn't ask of looking at a past, really about becoming present. What's the involvement in the practice? So as a practitioner, like every morning, first thing I do when I wake up is sit up and do a body-centered meditation. So I'm bringing my mind again to come to my breath or come to the weight of my body, or if I move my hand, paying attention to that, bringing my attention, my, my presence to the fact that my hand just moved across from the air over here and into resting in my hand just now, or 
feeling the weight of this hand on this leg is offering me support to know that I'm present. And the fact that I'm alive, that I'm breathing, vital, that I'm present. You know, when I wake in the morning, the very first thing the mind generally wants to do is get to, oh, what am I doing today? How many things do I have on my list? Blah, 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 all those things. And then within a minute or less, I'm coming to bringing myself to the fact that I'm breathing. Do that meditation for, I don't know, eight to 10 minutes. It's eyes closed meditation. CD, how, how long seated. does it take for you to go check your phone? I do a focused practice to not reach for the phone straight away. Yeah, that's tough for me now. I used yeah. to be the total not, but right. now I'm am. <laughs> okay, so you go through your 10 minutes and then yep. and then you start your day. And then I actually then do a couple of self-brimas, which is bringing myself to even that much more. It's sort of like bringing what I just did with the seated eyes closed meditation yeah. into ability to see and with that activity then the mind is connecting more more easily, I guess, okay. to the fact that I am. And so these self-brimas are either seated or standing. And if someone were to see me doing them from the outside, they'd probably see it as similar to something like Qigong or Tai Chi. Or- so it feels good. It's a good start to your day. It gives you a good self-connection. It awareness. also gives, obviously, blood flow, gets right. flowing more. And, but But the deepest practice and the whole reason I'm really doing it is to become present. Have you taught your son how to do that? My son and my daughter have not attended a class. It's interesting with Brima, they actually suggest that you wait until about, you know, maybe 17, 18 years old for teaching Brima. We don't teach it to children, which is, I, I, it's an interesting I question. I think the but opposite is get them dialed in really young sure. so it becomes normal And behavior. yet at the same time, they're already in that to a deeper degree than we are as adults where we've got to unwind all this we've been infiltrated with. We're born with our essential self and then all this input starts happening pretty instantaneously. And Brima really is that working towards not to take away the personality, but to work with the essential self. So there is a place of more balance or groundedness that then this personality can be supported by. Talk about that witness, that great you that knows the better to do. Yeah, Brima is, is really working in that direction of that essential self being more in charge. But if the world we've created is immediately imposing itself on our children, they mm-hmm. should be prepared for that to happen, in my opinion, and Indeed. not wait till they're 17 or 18. Well, here's something that they both have already benefited with Brima buys. Both of them were in my belly. When I uh, attended Brima, what we call intensives, we yeah. have 10-day intensives. They used to be 10, now they're six days because of our main teacher passed away. But when he was alive, he worked on my hara my belly yeah. while my children were inside. Ah, so they weren't they, there together. No, okay. as I said that, I was like, here's Mark. He's coming well, with just, that I question. Your words. <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> uh, they've received Brima from the get-go. They received Brima. I haven't sat with them and taught them the meditations or anything, yeah. but I do Brima with them. I practice Brima body work sequences right. on them. So yes. How yeah, old yeah. are they? 13 and 17. Oh, they're the same age as my children. They are the exactly. same age as your children. Mm-hmm. And where are they going to school? Liam, he's 17. He's at the high school. Tali is in eighth grade, getting ready to eject from middle school. Yeah. <sighs> How are those things going? Awesome. 
That's great. My son is cranking with homework every day. He's so ready to be out of there. You know, he's he's already got a path. Doing photography and making films and, and had a film last year in the AIFF. Yeah. No kidding. Yeah. What was the film? It was about parkour, oh, which is yeah, what yeah. he does yeah. also, his main passion, physical. That's cool that he made a movie about it. Now, did he learn how to make the movie in the WAMS program at the middle school? You know, some. So there was some, some preparatory. Kind definitely, of, you know. for sure. What's yeah. he tell you about the high school? What I was getting at before is he's already, you know, he's like, I'm so done with this core curriculum. He's also in an AP class for English. And honestly, I, I feel like he's getting a fairly good education at the high school. There's some hoops that maybe he'll, you know, like we all ne- don't ever use some right. of our education. But... um He's doing great things. He's good. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you have a boy and a girl. Your daughter's getting ready to leave middle school. Yeah. Just got her nose pierced by Shari Weatherford. Beautiful, brilliant Shari. Nice. Yeah. So my son and your daughter are in the same graduating class. Indeed. Awesome. Yeah. Do they know each other? I don't know. What's Sam's like what? the biggest kid in the entire school, just about. He is? Oh, yeah. he's. How could he be that tall? You're so short. Because we're not from the same gene pool. Both well, my kids were go. adopted. Oh, that's it. You didn't know that? I did not know that. Yeah, Sam's six Good one, job. 250 pounds. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, no, he's a wall of humanity. <laughs> Actually, I rode my bike to uh, their house, and we all walked from Park Street to The Goose for dinner, mm-hmm. the three of us, which was super sweet. I don't think we've ever right? done that before. We took this beautiful little walk in the cold and chatted and then walked back. Isn't that amazing to spend that kind of time with your kids? Now that they're a little older Mm -hmm. and they can communicate a little differently and more in a mature way and intelligently, it's really fantastic because we can talk about almost anything now, pretty much. Yeah. And they're wonderful human beings, so it's really yeah. super easy yeah. to be with them. Yeah. Same with mine. Yeah. So grateful. People are like, oh, the teenage years are so hard. How are you doing? And I'm like, fine. <laughs> it's not the kids. It's usually the parents or mm-hmm. the school. Mm-hmm. Those two influences are yeah. generally creating whatever being they are mm-hmm. through that influence. Yeah. They are really mirroring, typically, whatever it is their, their parents' behaviors are. So people that bitch about their kids, mm. I kind of want to say, fuck you. What are you doing? Right. Why are your kids Here's your mirror. <laughs> exactly. Let's take a look at what's really happening mm. here. But they of really course. need to, in some gentle, reasonable way, that they can take a look and be the witness, mm-hmm. which we're not taught how to do. And it's probably maybe one of the most important tools you can have is becoming self-aware. And most people are not aware of anything except other people. Right, the outside, outside, outside. Oh, what's wrong? Oh, he, she, they did that. that. And, and you know, that mm-hmm. should be, again, one of these primary things that we learn as children is always reflect back. Yeah. Always look at a situation and say, how, how am I? Right, what am I doing? So I spoke to Zoe um, for like 45 minutes while I was in Thailand. She was having some difficulty with her mom. And I explained about how to be the witness and how to say, yeah. what is Zoe doing nice. during all these things? How yes. are you responding, reacting? Mm-hmm. And you know what? Since that chat, no problems. She gets mm-hmm. along great with her mom. The only issue she has, of course, is homework and all the bullshit yeah. she has no choice over. Mm-hmm. But as far as how she conducts herself, mm-hmm. she's so happy all the time now. Nice. One simple 45-minute nice. instruction mm-hmm. on how to become accountable yeah. and self-aware Yeah can really cure you of a lot of problems because now all of a sudden the blame game is over 
and you can start taking responsibility. Mm-hmm. But again, these are not things that our children are taught in school. Yeah. My children have grown up with the four agreements in their face. Oh, dude, that's, <laughs> that's another one of these tools yeah. that is the most brilliant set of filters for you to bring it back. Yeah. Can you name them? Uh, be impeccable with your word. That is number one. Number Say what one. you mean, mean what you say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's the next one? Make no assumptions. Uh, yeah. Um, um, Hardest I one. I can't think of it. Don't take anything personally. personally. That's right. Mm-hmm. People don't even think that even makes any sense. Yeah. How can I not take it personally? Yeah, it's me. They, uh, they're directed is, it at me. I'm, yeah, That right? is so egotistical. <laughs> We're such egomaniacs that we can't even see yeah. how ridiculous it is yeah. that we attach ourselves yeah. to other people's emotions. They said that? Well, it must be right. Like, this person said this about me, it must be right. It's such a burden. It, it creates such suffering for ourselves. Indeed. And it's self-imposed. Bless it, bless it, bless it. And the last one, of course, is do the best you can. Always. Always do mm-hmm. the best you can. Mm-hmm. But all these things require... The witness, a certain level of self-awareness and consciousness. Which I'm sure you've read The Fifth Agreement. What's that? Oh, what? We were going to just... Oh, it's so good. It's all about the witness. The way that it's stated, The Fifth Agreement itself, the sentence or the statement, I don't quite resonate with the words. So the basic concept is be skeptical about even yourself. Question everything and witness it. I also paid my son $5 to listen to The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. Well done. Paid him. Good dad. Lay on this bed right here with <laughs> I love it. If he was any smarter, he could have got at least 20 bucks out of me. But he said, okay, <laughs> right? I'll do it. Five bucks. I'm sure he's counting either buying a game or going to the dollar store. That's five things at the dollar store. Right. But I asked him when he was done. I said, well, what do you think? He said, oh, I get it. <laughs> I said, okay, that's it for today's lesson. Oh, I get it. That's fucking awesome. That's brilliant. It's brilliant. If I'm going to reach for anything else, the power of now is the other, of course, because what I do with Brima is all about putting to practice what you read in the power of now. So between that, Brima, and the four agreements. Yeah, you're covered, Matt. It's everything you need to know. Life in a nutshell. If you could get people to concentrate on just a couple of things, it would save their lives from Mm -hmm. all kinds of unnecessary misery. Oh, we are definitely inundated from day one, just like we said, with so much. Our little human brains just don't know what to do with it. I woke at 4 a.m. this morning and I got to go through an entire journey of watching my mind attack my mind. So Brima is about coming to the breath, knowing the body's breathing, or coming to the activity or the weight of the body, right? right? So I'm laying there at four in the morning, perfectly still. The only thing that I can actually bring Brima to is the breathing. And I had this realization come up. There were actually two times during that, however long I was awake, 45 minutes to an hour or whatever, where I chose to move my body from the position I was lying in and then made a sound with my voice. And both of those, I realized, were tools to help my mind, because I was watching my breath every time I'd go off on a tangent, whatever it is mine was doing, and then watching my breath, watching my breath. Okay, and then when I couldn't really, the breath wasn't enough, I saw that I made that motion with my body and then made the sound to have two more tools to register I am. And with that I am, I could gently, slowly 
let go of that looping story yeah, that was yeah. so, so painful and being impeccable with your word. Because if you're bullshitting yourself, you're shoulding all yeah. over yourself, which yeah. is what I talk to people a lot about. Yeah. Most importantly, myself, but yeah. definitely my children. Don't should all over yourself. It's too much. That is where you and I and anybody who's really working to be more conscious, to be more present, is opening our arms in whatever ways we do to help each other as human beings. Yeah. Because what the heck? We're here. Why not make it palatable? It should be fun, not fucking palatable. Right? God damn. That's it. You get a finite time to enjoy this particular aspect of your experience. Totally. If you spend 50 of it shitty. God dang it. What a fucking waste of time. Why? Well, because you don't know any better. And again, it's that whole thing of how much has society or your experience, life experiences brought you into the place where you are. And that's why, you know, I do the work that I do between doing body work, massage, table work, and then doing Brema on the floor and working with people. And now in, I'm offering classes for Brema to help people manage it. How do people get a hold of you? Drop into infinity.com. Texting Text. is great. 541-482-4188. Were you born in Oregon? Are you an Oregon uh, I am not. native? Where are no, you from? Colorado. Oh, you look kind of Colorado-y. Mm-hmm. Does that make any sense? It does. Sense? I meet people here and I'm like, you from Colorado? There's a certain like, there's a mountain thing yeah. or something. There's, yeah. I mean, I'm mountain. We're in Colorado. Born and raised, you know. So Front Range, um, Denver and Boulder. I was born in Boulder, raised okay. in Lakewood. You were born, how old are you? What year was that? Really? Well, you don't tell me. <laughs> I don't care, but you don't have to tell me a number, but what year were you born? 1968. In Boulder. People go, ooh, Boulder in 1968. There were riots at that time. So apparently it was a pretty cool time to come on. Were there? To the planet. Mm-hmm. Oh, all right, so by the yeah. time you had an awareness of your environment, what was happening in Boulder? I was not in Boulder by then. Honestly, I don't have any specific memories of Boulder as a baby. So we moved to Denver or Lakewood. Lakewood was a suburb. But also, you know, we were at that time even a little bit removed from Denver. So we were suburb, but we were also kind of foothills. My school, my actually my elementary school was called Foothills. So we lived on Green Mountain, which is a mountain small hill really (laughs) next to the um hogback the hogback was our like famous zone and right beyond that three miles from where i lived was red rocks my parents were both ski instructors is that how they met that's how they met and what's the mountain they probably met at eldora west of boulder okay Mm -hmm. and are they both from colorado as well no my mother's from oklahoma she grew up in austin texas and um, my dad actually is from Colorado. I'm five generations Kitely cool. in Colorado. Are they yeah. still together? They are not. No. No. Are they still alive? They're both still alive. Okay. They're both living in Colorado still. Mother's in Longmont. Bless her, and hopefully she'll get to hear this. Miss yeah. Louise Kitely. Hello, Hi, Louise. Louise. We love you. We love you. <laughs> and what is she doing these days? She is basically almost retired. What's she doing? She's a geologist. She was raising myself and my sister. How old is your sister? My sister is one year older than me, and she's living in Denver What's with she her do? husband. She is a writer and an actor in yeah. Denver. Cool. And her uh, husband as well is also an actor in Denver. Mm-hmm. And a retired your... lawyer. He's a retired lawyer? Mm-hmm. And they travel like crazy. What's your dad doing? And my dad is a musician. He's always kind of been a jack of all trades, working with various things, but he's a music scholar, really. What's his main yeah. instrument? Keyboard. Cool. Mm-hmm. And does he still perform? I don't think he's performing out right now. He was performing down in Salida, uh-huh. Colorado. 
and he has made some CDs. And uh, I have played various instruments through my life, and I sing now. Oh, you sing now? Yeah. So you said now versus you didn't sing before. I've been singing a long time, but singing out. And where do you do that? Um, there was an open mic in Jacksonville a while ago, and I sang one song, a cappella. How'd it go? Awesome. Oh, boy. What'd you sing? I sang a song by uh, Alina Baraz called um, Drift. Have you done any open mics here? I haven't, though I did notice that there is one happening tonight at Oberon's. I just saw that on Facebook. Uh, I did, too. Are you going to do it? I don't know. I, I was like, huh, tonight? Hmm. What time is that going on? Starts at nine. And now that we're talking about it, maybe there's a reason for me to just step on down there. Maybe. The great thing about open mics is they happen every week. Yeah. Well, that's cool. I didn't know you sang. Have you ever sang with anybody with, you know, instruments? I have. I played my guitar and wrote a couple of songs. I think that'd be a fun thing to explore. Haven't done it a lot. Well, later in life seems to be the right time to start grabbing on to things you want to do. Yeah, and that'll be a few years from now for me. I know it's happening for you, but I'm what not I'm not me? quite later in what life you, yet. What are, you, what are you saying? <laughs> right now? Are you saying that I'm later? Because later it is was... almost over. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Later is later. It's not almost over. I know. Well, I am on the same side of life with my parents now, which is... Trippy, right? It's pretty like, unreasonable. What the my heck? Saying, we have a 56-year-old son. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's, it's completely ridiculous. <laughs> How can that be? How can that be? It's actually really good. Meaning we're at a certain place like, yeah, I'm not a little kid anymore. Right. Yeah. So, and you know, you only got 20 years on me really at this uh-huh. point. They really, you know, a little more than 20 years on me. That's Golly. it. But in the scheme of the length of life, right. we're right there, neck yeah. and neck. Yeah. So what was it like growing up in Colorado? It was awesome. What was so awesome about it? Colorado's sunny like 300 days of the year. But then I did have to get melanoma removed from my body more recently. So they say it's not necessarily because you were in the sun as a kid and all the way up into, you know, whatever. Who knows? Where was it? Actually, I had one on my leg eight years ago. And then I had one on my arm last two years ago. And they just dug them out? They just take them off. Yeah. Yeah. So did you ride your bike and you had friends and played spin the bottle? and Yeah, you know, my sister was always sitting inside watching TV and eating snacks. I was always outside running around. We had this really steep hill on the road that I lived on, just up from 753 South Beach Street, my house that huh. I grew up in, and this really steep hill. And so in the wintertime, it was very fun for either skidding on our feet or getting actual sleds out and sledding down yeah. it. Summertime skateboards craziness because it was steep, like literally yeah. like a San Francisco hill. Did Couldn't you do steep. that? Uh, a little bit. Like I'd sit on my butt on the skateboard yeah. and <laughs> ride down it that quickly, way. Yes. Yeah. yeah, and in one time, in fact, a dear friend, Nikki, who lived right next door to me, so my, my best friend, best homie living right next door, it was a cool situation. She was the recipient of someone who's riding their bicycle and they came right up close and stopped and hit her in the head with the edge of the um, bolt on the wheel of the bike. And it broke the skin so much that I don't know if you've seen blood from the head, but already coagulate. It's the weirdest. Seriously. She went, oh, held her hand, then moved her hand to show me. And it was I thought she had taken she was making a joke like catch up. It was nuts. <laughs> When I was about whatever that age is, I was in my parents' backyard, and somebody, a neighbor over the, the backside, threw a ball over. Mm. So I threw it back, you know, being neighborly. <laughs> then they threw a fucking boulder over there and split my <gasps> head open. Oh, my god! 13 gosh. stitches 
blood everywhere. <sighs> Literally blood everywhere. My dad was so pissed. Ugh. He couldn't believe that they would do something so stupid. Good God. Did you ever break any bones as a kid? Your arms, your I, legs? I did. I broke my left elbow when I was six. How'd you do that? Falling off of a swing. Okay, you know those swings that face each other? You can get on them and you sit down and you face each other and yeah. you just push, push back and forth with your feet making that thing go. Yeah. Well, we were supposed sitting, not like that. We didn't have apparently seatbelts either. Facing outward with our feet on the ground, you know, on the back edge of the seat. <laughs> she pushed when I wasn't ready. Oh, I went flying, flying yeah. and this arm twisted in the weirdest contortion. And I went running inside. And I don't remember all the details after that, but my mother really had a fit <laughs> about that and had to, of course, take me immediately to the of emergency course. room. And so I had a cast, one of those bent elbow casts, yeah. came all the way up and all the way down for however long that would have been five weeks yeah, or something, yeah. you know. Yeah. And, I remember being in um, daycare or preschool, laying on the cot for nap time, and they had to put a pillow up to prop oh. my little elbow. Oh. Yeah, so that's an interesting scar that Still I have. have. It? Oh yeah, it's nice long. Oh yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, I had a pin in there, I had huh. a little hardware in there. I have a very strong memory of them taking that pin out of there. They didn't give me any anesthetic what? for it. Maybe they did some locally, but I felt it. Body. They had a screen here, so I couldn't see it. Yeah. And they're doing the thing. Oh, my God, dude. It was awful. That's <laughs> Is that your only major? That's my only major break. I think I broke my nose huh. playing softball. Yeah, other than that, broken bones, I think that's it. Illnesses? I was asthmatic for 24 years of my life. How'd you get rid of that? I sat Vipassana meditation. I went to India and sat my first Vipassana course. And um, What's Vipassana? Vipassana is, they call it Buddhist boot camp. You've probably heard of the 10-day silent retreat. Oh, sure. With a lot of people here yeah. do that. Yeah. yeah. So it's a silent practice. You practice uh, at home. When you take it back to your home, it's two hours a day if you're dedicated. And that's yeah. what I, I did for about eight years. Sitting uh, in the morning for an hour, morning in the evening, not moving. So you literally, uh, you make a stance with yourself that you will not move your body. And of course, when you're sitting at a, at a course for 10 days, you're spending eight hours a day with really focused work. So I came back from India via Russia. And we had six hour layover in Russia and I got a cold. I got sick from coming from the heat of India to the cold. Got home, had one more asthma attack and then I was done. And you haven't had one since? Nope. That's fantastic. Seriously. My body was begging me to listen is really how it felt. I found a path that would teach me how to do that. Again, they both were inside of me when I sat. Actually, she wasn't. He was when I sat a 10-day Vipassana. He got it cellularly. And I think because he was in the Vipassana course with me, he has an incredibly old soul. He has a steadiness about himself that is truly remarkable to witness. I mean, she's incredible. They're both incredible. Yeah. Um, the interesting thing about her being inside of me was that I actually had a car accident. I was rear-ended and have still, to this day, unfortunately, a really intense challenge with my neck. I just kind of wonder how it has affected, because she's got a real sort of low tolerance of pain. Here's the thing, though. I have the ability more, thank the universe for bringing my practices to me, to at least just being able to be with what is. So, yeah. How were you in school? I was not a great schooler. I, I got fairly steady grades through the 
required years. And then college, I went for a half a year and then left and went to educate myself out in the world. I am a great student of life, not necessarily a grade student of life. How'd you do in high school specifically? High school was all right. I was very social. I went for my 20th high school reunion. Sorry, 30th. And uh, yeah, I was astounded at the difference. These people who I just love and I could see them in their eyes, but yeah. their like bodies had morphed and transformed yeah. into... But I have to say my classmates, former classmates are doing brilliant things with their oh, lives. Oh, that's great. And, you know, they're beautiful all, all in, in their own ways. Sure. You know, it doesn't matter the differences in age and weight and you know all that stuff it was just remarkable it was like wow last summer what high school was this green mountain high school in lakewood colorado how was that visit with old town stuff i i go there fairly frequently so okay yeah although i have to say that the actual going to lakewood and being you know amongst where i grew up is only about every 10 year thing with my reunion so that's a fascinating thing to i got to go and walk through my house that i your, your, your grow-up house? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Who was it, in there? Well, a couple, a Russian couple, and they raised six children in this house, which for us at the time was a three-bedroom house. We didn't actually see all of it, but they transformed the basement into enough space for three of their boys to be raised in. Wow. It was in- incredible. They've been there for 21 years. Wow. One of them happened to be outside at the time. He's like, oh, yeah, my wife's back here. You want to talk to her? And she, her name's Louisa. My mom's name is Louise. So that was kind of fun. And we got to walk all around. And we could have stayed two more hours. It was so welcoming. It was awesome. That was in good shape? It is. They took up the carpets. And oh, underneath is wood floors that you didn't some of the most amazing wood floor I've ever. Really beautiful floor. My mom was oh, with mom me was at with the time. You. Oh, that must mm-hmm. have been fascinating oh, for her. Oh, it was so great. Yeah. So when'd you come here? How'd you get to Ashland? I moved to San Francisco initially. It was 95. Oh, that's when I moved there. What? Yes. it. When did you leave? I was only there for two years. So okay. 90, 90, 97. What'd you do there? Mm-hmm. That was why I started my body work. Oh. Studied barefoot shiatsu and found Brima. Found them both there? Yep. How'd you find them? Or did they find you? Yeah, good question. Um, my dear friend, who was a Vipassana practitioner also, mm-hmm. I, she and I met at a Vipassana center, the California Vipassana center, came back to San Francisco and realized we lived two blocks from each other. Wow. So we had great times sitting meditation. We'd get up and meet each other for meditation, either at hers or mine every morning, like 6 a.m. and do our thing. And then she, she was a barefoot shiatsu practitioner. Where did you live? I lived in the Mission. I was on Cap Street. I loved it. So I was there, and then I moved to Seattle, met my husband, going to be my husband. We were together for six years before we got married. How'd you guys meet? And we met serving a Vipassana course in California. Of course. Of course. Okay. Like-mindedness. How long were you married? So we were married for... A total of six years. We had Liam, our first kid, a year before we got married. And um, yeah, we had, a, we had a good good stint of it. Good. A good chapter. What's your daughter's name? Natalia. A Russian name. Interestingly, neither myself or my ex-husband have any connection to Russia. Well, how did that come to be? He liked the name Natasha. And I was looking at names like Talia, which is actually the shortened version of what we call her. And so we decided on Natalia. A little name splicing. Yeah. Nice. Half and half. Yeah. Very she's even. She's super cute. Too. I know. Like she's ridiculous. I know. They're amazing. I, I just saw that your, your son was doing a painting. You had yeah. a video up on yeah. Facebook and yeah. he was doing this cool painting. Was that yeah. for a school project? Yeah, that it was. That woman smoking a cigarette in right? silhouette, right? Yeah. He, so it's a photograph that he chose to do. He's a really great artist. 
That's wonderful because mm -hmm. this is a really good art community. It's I very know. nurtured and supported oh, and yeah. all that good stuff. Yeah. My daughter's getting into photography. I love that she Yay. digs it. It's really beautiful I to know. go out and watch her just shoot. Yeah. 17, man. She yeah. loves a camera. But I love that she, she loves taking pictures. And I purchased his first camera for him. I feel really What'd happy you get about him? that. Let's see. What is it? It's a Nikon DSLR. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Love that he's doing that. That's mm -hmm. super cool. And I, I hope my daughter stays psyched about taking yeah. pictures. Yeah. I told her, I said, you know, it's an amazing thing that you can take this thing in your hand and no matter what's going on in your head, you could be having a really difficult time. Mm -hmm. You take this thing and go for a walk outside and take yeah. pictures. Time goes away, yeah. problems go away. Mm. This is how you know that everything else is not real. Yeah. When you get into your focus zone and you mm -hmm. love what you're doing, there is nothing but you in the moment and yeah. what's happening. Yeah. I said, so yeah. take advantage of how amazing that tool is that gives you a certain level of freedom that nothing else can provide you. Yeah. That's kind of a meditative thing to do. It is. Well, yeah. any art form yeah. to me is, you know, it's really about the process, not about the end product. Right. The deep part for myself as an artist, I do paint. And thankfully, I've worked with that over the years to allow the art to unfold itself. And then the end product, you walk away from it and you come back to it and you're like, wow. I mean, it, I find it really astounding. And Liam, too, just a couple of days ago, he came back in, saw his painting again. He hadn't seen it for a few hours or whatever. And, and he had a real aha moment. So one of the things that we talk about with Brima is, is working with that pressure of time and finding ways to step out of the pressure. There's nine principles in Brima, and the first one is body comfortable. So working with anything that's pressure, pressure of time is mind created entirely. Well, it's manufactured. Right. There's no time. Right. I mean, no. you made that up. Right? Yeah. yeah. I had a, I think it was, there were two brothers. They were from the Middle East. We started getting into this interesting conversation and I was explaining to them the fallacy of time. And at first, the older brother balked at it. But then when he started really thinking about it, he realized it was the truth. We didn't come with anything. These are all things that we manufactured. Yeah. And it was supposed to be just like an organizational tool, uh -huh. you know, because you have to be someplace, you have right, to do you something, do this, whatever it is. This horizontal plane, as we call it in Brima, right. this timeline But he got thing. it, and it fucked him up, man. Fucked you up. Oh, yeah. The first he, opening to that like, is like, oh, my God. But this should be another thing that we're teaching our children is really about our actual reality that yeah. we manufactured versus the openness and the nothingness of the whole thing yeah. until we fill it with our own shit. Right. Because there is nothing, absolutely nothing, until totally. we make something yeah. out of it. Yeah. It's very ungrounding for a lot of minds. It's very like, uh-uh, I can't go there. Well, because they live by the clock. And it's yeah. a very dangerous yeah. thing to do. And I saw you, your mm -hmm. eyes even went back to that clock that mm -hmm. is not running. I took the battery out because uh, it clicks. That's brilliant. I don't want to hear the fucking noise. <laughs> you know what I have to admit? I've looked at that clock several times since we've been sitting here. I have not registered the time. The number it. of the time. No. I think I need to move it to 420. Yes, you do. Or 333. <laughs> I'm going to do it right now. I'm doing it right now. Here it show. goes. On the show, Mark Aaronsberg, 333. Right. At least for today to make Pippi happy. No, I'll do whatever it takes. <laughs> there you go, buddy. Oh, it'll take me three hours to get the clock done. Yeah, I'm still working on it. <laughs> you know what? Screw it. The clock is going to sit on my bed until we're done. So I have a little pink clock that stopped working many years ago, and I have it sitting in an altar to my children to remind us all that timelessness really is where it's at. So my son's purchased himself from a friend a turntable recently 
first time Liam put the needle, I got to see him do it. He was like so so precious. He put the needle down on the thing and his eyes lit up like he was three years old. He was like, oh my God. (laughs) You know what? The Luddite is going to make a return. All these things that are physical mechanisms. Oh yeah. He got a Polaroid camera. Yeah. This is what gives me hope. I know. What do you do for fun? What are you doing besides working? Dance. I love to dance. In the kitchen? In the in. You should ask that. Well, isn't it the place? Just two days ago, I danced in the kitchen. Yeah. Yeah. How was that? Awesome. And are you getting a whole song? It wasn't even half of a song Uh or just the first few notes or whatever. I was like, all right, I'm going to dance. Yeah, it was great. Dance is very therapeutic. It actually is a good physical way to keep yourself trim. As people say, there's interesting about having a dance partner and that relationship. Mm -hmm. And then just the physical aspect of it is supposed to be really excellent for you. Well, maybe it was the same article on Facebook the other day about dancing being probably the the strongest anti-aging tactic we could take so and, let's dance let's well i think dance. that's why a lot of this town <clears throat> bails out to burning man totally. every year obviously the town has changed and a lot of yeah. these people have left but i remember yeah. this place was crazy it emptied out yeah. every year around yeah. that time yeah and then i finally went and that thing is all about dancing oh, and yeah. moving yeah did you ever go four years i did my college my four years of burning man <laughs> when did you start started uh six the thing about Burning Man is it looks like it's all big, you know, like, woohoo. Funny enough, I just watched a film yesterday, an independent film from England, about a guy who finds himself at Burning Man, chasing after the one he loves, and really what he finds is himself. That is Burning Man. You know, people could look at it from the outside with all kinds of judgment, and it's so individualized. What do you think about the whole goddess thing that happens in this town? <laughs> Seriously. This is such an interesting topic. It's so full. And, um, you know, I I don't imbibe by the ideas, a lot of the, I guess, ideology. Of course, I have had my time in my life as a woman to gain my strength, either back or forward into my life from whatever's happened or whatever, as in in relating to that, the ideas of the strength of the woman or the Mm -hmm. goddess in and the feminine in the world. However, I'm not necessarily like deeply saddened, but I'm saddened by what atmosphere it's created here in in town that is um, making it look like one gender is better than another or, you know, has to be upheld in this sort of way or this sort of way, like mannerisms, you know, as a woman or as a man. There needs to be worship of all beings. That's where I come from, abide in and live by and, and wish for, is that I am revering all. So there was a time living in Ashland as long as I have that I was within it to a degree. But there's always been this feeling about and bless it for all that it's worth for all the people who benefit by it. Like the goddess temple at the at the wellsprings. Yeah. There's something that has always, in my own energy experience of life, has I just didn't gravitate towards yeah. it, and um, I'm fine with that. How has your post marital stuff gone for you here in this town? It's been a great journey. Yeah, I mean, I you know I moved through like the pain of post divorce into then dating and had a few beautiful relationships through the time and I feel deeply held and blessed. This is a very interesting town to be single. You know, I hear people say that and it's like the goddess thing or that whole, you know, dynamic of conversation. Yeah. It's a very sweet town. Yeah. To just know people. Yeah. It is Mayberry on marijuana. Totally. It is. 
It's the Beverly Hills of Southern Oregon. It's a fucking rock right? and roll cool place. Right. Cool fucking people live here. Good stopover town, cool people, and lots of cool bands, and lots Absolutely. of cool things. And, yeah. It took me over 50 years to play music professionally. Mm. I had to come here to mm. do all the things I never did anywhere else. Yeah. So this place has been an amazing, nurturing community yeah. that has supported me, even with the show. Yeah. Supported me, supported my photography. You know, I don't know if you ever went. I used to throw rocking parties down at the Mobius, my little photo parties. Oh, yeah, sure. people come. Of course. You like, came and did a photography set for myself and Bella. Do you remember that? Oh, my God. I totally did At the that. Black Sheep. Yeah, no, but you had your you brought your whole silver set up and oh, put it in the in there. the dart room, the dart area. Yeah, You're but right. then you also did that for our photo shoot before yeah. Decadence. No, it was our promo photos for Decadence. I don't remember so, that. Oh my god, you are a stoner. Twenty-four-seven. <laughs> yeah, I have no idea what you're talking about. It's been kind of that's awesome. I, I love to be reminded of pictures. <laughs> People have told me, go, hey, you remember don't when you did that? Don't you remember those photos? <laughs> and I don't even, I don't even remember That's any so of my childhood. Great. Yeah. That is not a weed thing. It's a deep practice thing. Like, if you want to be present, be present, be present, be present. Well, and, and, yeah. and because I'm not overly attached to anything, it really makes my life a breeze because mm-hmm. I don't have a lot of this shit in my head that is staying. Mm. If it's not super useful in the moment, uh-huh. it's just, it's, I chalk it up to experience and I let it go. Yeah. I need to make room for new things to happen. Is everybody listening to this? This no, is a really important lesson. You know, most people don't know how to do this. Yeah. And I don't even really, honestly, I don't even know how to tell them how to do it. <laughs> I don't. Because I don't know how I'm doing it. Yeah. Well, you know how people say, by the way, don't tell anybody. I go, dude, I'm not even going to know what you fucking said in five minutes. I, I don't remember anything. So gossip, you don't, you're not a gossiper, which is a great oh, thing. Oh, no, 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 no. That's, yeah. I think that's actually really disgusting. disgusting. It's yeah. some of our worst human behavior. It's horrible. It's, if anything, to teach our children, when I get out of the shower, first thing I'm seeing is the four agreements, and my eye falls on one of them, and I read it. That's fantastic. And then I, you know, take it into my day somehow. Can you yeah. imagine, though, if that was on the wall of every classroom? Yeah. And that you started your day yeah. that way. The, the teacher would say, mm. everybody take a look up mm-hmm. on the board. Yeah. We are starting our day. We're going to spend 10 minutes in meditation. Yep. We're going to contemplate yep. these four principles in life. And did you execute those yesterday? And if you didn't execute those yesterday, uh-huh. you're forgiven. But today you get to start over oh, again. Yeah. That really could change things on this planet. What's that guy's name? Don Miguel Ruiz. Yeah. Do you know he has the heart of a, I think she was 20, 20 year old woman in his body? No. He has to have a heart replacement. No kidding. Yes. Can you imagine a new heart? You're like emotional. I mean, the emotions are all cellular in the heart. The heart of his expression in life. I mean, it's just fascinating to me. And the beauty of the four agreements and having them like in our house and various places is that they are brand new in my own practice. It should be just a fundamental part of our education that we can just look at every day and keep ourselves in check. Yeah. First time I tapped into the four agreements was post-divorce and it really saved my saved my ass was like the way that i was able to pick myself up and did you read it or or listen to it oh i read it i don't do audiobooks much if at all i think it's really a powerful thing i'm sure it's a different in fact what i do these days with audio is i get audio tapes of prima teachings the audio experience is very powerful Mm. because you are listening to another human being talking to your ear yeah Inside your head, especially Inside if you put the, it on the headphones. Well, that's why I think the headphones, that's how I did the power of now. 
and I tripped the fuck out <laughs> in the dark. I get and it. saw ghostly images, <laughs> and it changed my life. Yeah. I listened to The Four Agreements in the airport at LAX, done by Peter Coyote, who's mm. got a great voice, mm. and it was a fantastic experience. So, mm-hmm. we have everything we need, by the way, in case anybody was wondering. Yeah. We don't need any new information. No. We don't need anything. We just need to execute what we have, what yeah. we already know, and uh, live better yeah. with each other. So, yeah. something I've taught my children is, you know, don't just ask people how they are. Ask them how they're feeling. They're going to tell you the truth. And you might be able to help them in that moment to change their whole fucking life in that one second that because you said, how yeah. are you feeling? Yeah, Not nice. how are you? Well, you're doing really fantastic work. Thank you. And uh, I, I think I need it's your constant. hands on my body at some point. Yeah. Uh, was it fun? It was really fun. A little intimidated to hear my voice recorded, but, you know, what the heck. Whatever. <laughs> I know, like what we just talked I have seen how it, and this is this is something that's wonderful about getting myself up to sing with a microphone, yeah. is just letting my voice be heard. I think that's, that's one of my, if you were to ask me what my deep, you know, some deep, like, lifetime work. And it's about my voice, my fifth chakra, speaking or singing or yeah. saying or sharing. So this right here, I'm grateful for because we did this yeah. and I just did all that. <laughs> well, Alan Watts says, everybody should sing. It doesn't matter if you have talent or not. That's ridiculous. Yeah. And I used to say things to my ex jokingly, but not nice, about how shitty her voice was. <gasps> oh, well, I, we forgive you now. <laughs> no, I apologized to her. Yeah, good. And I told her that was so wrong. But mm-hmm. I had to hear Alan Watts tell me mm. how important it is that we vocalize. Yeah. That we express ourselves. It's part of the breathing exercise, too. Yeah. Of uh, That is the, the truest self-expression we have is our voice. Yeah. And to tell someone that they suck at something that comes out of their mouth. Oh, it's pretty thoughtless. Both my children have done that with each other when they're singing. And I'm like, please don't criticize each other in that right. way or any way. But it's that way unhealthy. specifically, you know, yeah. yeah, don't shut someone up. So if, if anybody can take anything away from this show, whoever you're with that sings that may not have the best tonal capability. Yeah. You should be happy that they're even willing and brave enough. Even knowing that they sing like shit, totally. but they will sing anyway. And you should yeah. feel good about supporting them. Yeah, because singing is like the vocal cords dancing. So there's something really beautiful. To What's your favorite song that? to sing? Easiest song, you could sing it in a heartbeat. Oh, I guess uh, Summertime. You mean like the old song? Mm-hmm, old How's jazz that song. Summertime and the living is easy. Like that. Oh, yeah, that's good. That, that sounded really pretty. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Uh, give a little squeeze to your kids for me. All righty then. David Mayer, what's going on with you? Uh, right now, I am uh, trying to basically save my daughter's life. She has kidney failure. She's had it since she was 12. She's now 24. She does dialysis three days a week. She's been doing it for almost five years now. She's working full-time now. And uh, in amongst that, I've lost my wife uh, a year and a half ago to CJD, Cresfeld jacobson disease. It's a disease that basically explained to me was it's a disease that eats away at the brain until there's nothing left. So my wife caught that. We don't know how she got it, uh, but she passed away due to it shortly after she was diagnosed with it. Did she suffer much? No, she didn't suffer much oh, at all. Good. Yeah. Good. Maybe she had to get out of the way so you could uh, do this work with your daughter. Yeah. Now I'm trying to keep from losing my daughter, who is uh, right now uh, in severe need of a kidney transplant. 
Where is she now? Uh, my daughter just got off work. Uh, she's heading home now to rest. She lives with a boyfriend in Central Point. And, uh, you know, and I check on her every day to make sure she's doing okay. And she seems to be doing fine today. What's she's tight. Ashley, Ashley Mayer, M-A-Y-E-R, yes. Okay. How are her spirits around this whole thing? They've been pretty positive. We've been having a lot of uh, good feedback from uh, the newspaper that we, we were in and from the uh, radio and from the TV, that news uh, channel 5 that we were on. We've been having a lot of good responses. Uh, we've been having good success on collecting bottles and cans to try to raise money to get her back on the kidney transplant list. We had a uh, fundraiser at uh, Walkabout Brewery yesterday where they donated a dollar for every pint that was sold. We found out last Father's Day of 2017 when I took my daughter up there for treatments that anybody needing a kidney transplant as of June of 2015 has to fundraise $10,000. That's just to get on the list? That's just to get back on the list. And that's no guarantee of anything. It's just getting on a list? That is correct. Is there insurance for any of this? There's insurance, but we don't know to the extreme of how much the insurance will cover until my daughter has a kidney transplant. We don't know what kind of anti-rejection medication she's going to be on. We don't know what kind of medication at all she's going to be on for the rest of her life. Basically, what they said to us is that they're not sure what kind of anti-rejection medication she's going to be on the rest of her life. It's very overwhelming. I've been doing this for 12 years. You would think I would know everything about kidney failure. We found out after we raised $10,000 that they increased our goal to $20,000. They told us that the $10,000 was just the minimum that we had to raise. My daughter is getting put back on the list because we did meet the minimum. Yeah. And now our, our final goal is the $20,000, and that is to cover any uh, rejection medication, any medications not covered by insurance, right. and they won't know what those medications are until my daughter has the kidney transplant. But as of this moment, because we did raise the original $10,000, she is put back on the list, and we can start looking for donors now. People that are willing to uh, around... 20 to 27, 28 years old, that has never smoked, doesn't have any diabetes or anything of that issues, and are willing to donate a kidney, can get hold of me at my phone number, 541-499-4416, and we can put you in touch with the people that are in charge of taking care of people who would like to donate to help get my daughter a kidney, whether it be you want to donate a kidney or you need information, whatever the case may be. You may know somebody who wants to donate a kidney. Informational purposes, I can tie you into people that can give you that information. So that can be done locally. They can go check into a hospital somewhere. Yes. And, and check for compatibility. That is correct. And there's a lot of details, not about just having the same blood type. It's about the size of the kidney, how much wear and tear has already been on a kidney. For example, they don't want somebody that's 45 years old that's already put 45 years of wear and tear on a kidney for a child that's 24 because then she'll need a kidney later on. So. Right. Leaves me out. Yeah. I was totally down with getting checked yeah. out. It's just a kidney. I got two of them, right? Right, right. Yeah. But I guess I, I'm a little used, as it were. Yeah. Now that she's reached a minimum goal and she's getting put back on the list, getting kidney failure at the age of 12, like she did, she was put under high stress at such an early age, and she's been a trooper through all this. Now, she's had her down moments when she doesn't understand why and... You know, she's blaming God for it and all this kind of stuff. But I've been able to keep her positive through all this. And now God is blessing us with miracles and people coming forward. And we're just overwhelmed and astonished at the amount of love and support that we're getting from the community. From a girl who was 12 and had kidney failure to a girl who's 24 now, she and I are just flabbergasted as to all the help we're getting. We're just so appreciative of it. And we don't know how to say thank you enough.
Well, you just did, and uh, it sounds like tragedy has been a little too evident in your life recently. I lost my wife on April 28th of 2016. We were married 26 years. We have two beautiful kids. I have a son who his wife is Alexa, my son Jacob Mayer, who just had a baby. So I'm a grandpa a third time around. My son and my daughter-in-law have been excellent, excellent support for me to keep me, you know, sane and keep my mindset on the right where it's supposed to be and to continue to trust in God and believe that God's got a, a mission for us. And, you know, without my son and my daughter-in-law, you know, a lot of my craziness would probably be a lot worse than what it is now. So I appreciate them and I owe them thanks for everything they've done to help keep me positive through this situation. When I'm, you know, on my downtime or my off time away from work, you know, it's just, it's great to see a community come about. And I'm the kind of guy that believes in paying it forward. And uh, I have a, a gentleman that my daughter had met. His name is Dan, who has uh, been diagnosed with kidney failure. So um, let's go ahead and come about and help him now. He's in the early stages of kidney failure. Uh, see if we can come about and help him now. He, he doesn't know what his next steps are for him to get a kidney, but we've told him what we've had to go through, and he's not sure what he has to do, but my daughter and I are going to try to be alongside him to help him get through it so that he doesn't have to wait 12 years to get a kidney as well. Right. He's awesome people. He's taken time out of his day in between dialysis and his job to help my daughter and I collect bottles and cans, to take them down there to the recycling plant and turn them in, him and his girlfriend Lisa and her child. They're standing there at the recycling place putting in one at a time. I mean, they're taking time out of their day to go pick them up. I mean, they're awesome people. We want to give props out to Dan and Lisa and Jacob, her, her son, and Dan's mother that sits there and detabs the can so that we can turn the tabs into dialysis center to help people that are less fortunate with financial resources and, and stuff that can't meet their needs otherwise. Use tabs as a financial resource to help those people as well. So we're doing everything my daughter and I can is not only to take care of her, but try to help the other people with kidney failure from detabbing and now helping her friend Dan and to try to get a kidney himself so continue to reach out kidney failure is not a joke it's not fun it's a lot of hard work there's a lot of stress but let's keep it going guys let's keep the community going whether it's for me or whether it's for dan let's take kidney failure as an awareness and a serious issue here in the valley that people do have kidney failure too so let's not let it just fall to the wayside but i also want to tell everybody that this all started in october i work at lithia volkswagen and the general manager bruce the staff, Curtis, Brian, all the techs, all the salesmen, they, with their open compassion and their care for me as an individual going through this situation, they were the ones that helped me get this ball started. If it wasn't for them, this ball would have never got started and we would not be where we're at today. So high props, high thanks to Lithia Volkswagen here in Mefford. They're real good people. If you're looking for a car, go see them. Because they're great people, they're awesome people, they're easy to work with, they're friendly, and they're compassionate. So it all started with Lithia Volkswagen. I am so overwhelmingly blessed to have them as my job and everybody there to where it is now. The community's outreach, the community's love and support for my daughter and I just been so overwhelming it's just unbelievable and i am so appreciative of it and so is my daughter my daughter just got off work she's extremely tired and i'm letting her rest today but uh and this because she has dialysis tonight you know it's just it's just amazing to go from such little thing to have lithia volkswagen start us off and then the community come along and all the other dealerships and my first Nazarene church that I attend, everybody's just come aboard and just has helped us so immensely that we're just so grateful. It takes a village, right? Yes, it does. That's why this is happening is you need to get people together. Yes, sir. You talk about 
calling to God, and this is the work being done to get us to come together. Yes, sir. Sometimes it has to be pretty drastic, clearly, to get our attention. That is correct. But you have the right attitude, clearly, and you have support. Yes, I do. And it sounds like, other than the dialysis and whatever other symptomatic problems she has, she's leading a semi-normal life. She has someone she loves, uh, her boyfriend that she lives with. Yes. And so we just need to take care of this, uh, this one piece right here. So. That is correct. She's staying very positive, and she's getting more positive as the days go by because she's seeing the outreach and the love and the support that she's getting from the community. It's just, like I said, it's all started with Lithia Volkswagen and the awesome people there to where it is now. And... Um, you know, being a widow, it sucks, but, uh, you know, right now my concentration is on taking care of my daughter, making sure she's uh, number one, and I realize that God is the overall number one, but he has really blessed my daughter and I immensely, and I would do anything, and I will keep fighting until my daughter gets that kidney and she can live a normal life, whatever society says normal is, but I will give my daughter everything she needs and everything I can do for her to get her to where she feels normal, and we can go on with our life. Tell us her name again. Her name is Ashley Mayer, M-A-Y-E-R. Do a middle name? Ashley Marie. Ashley Marie. Mayer. Are you guys from this area? We are originally from Denver, Colorado. That is shocking because I'm looking at this glaring t-shirt that you're wearing, and I no longer am a football guy, but I was a football guy, dude, and normally I would be wearing a Raiders shirt sitting <laughs> across from you, and this would be like an amazing photograph, but I don't have any more Raiders stuff because I got rid of all that shit a long time ago. Right, okay. But... We adopted my daughter from Fort Collins, Colorado. She was four weeks or six weeks early. She was a little preemie, tiny thing. So I'm, I'm a daddy of a daughter too. So I, I feel something. I, I can't know what you know and what you feel, but I get it. Right. And uh, uh, so we're in Colorado, right? And yes. At that time, I was a hardcore, diehard Raiders fan. I used to take the BART and go all the way to the Coliseum myself and buy a scalper's ticket for like 40 bucks and end up on the 50-yard line, screaming mm -hmm. with my other 70,000 stupid, idiotic friends <laughs> that were loving the game. Right, so, right. I remember, must have been like the first week to go see Zoe, my daughter, in the incubator. And somehow they found out, I'm sure I was proud about it, that I was a Raider fan. So there was a game on that night. Mm -hmm. This is the one where, uh, who was the quarterback? Greasy at the time. Greasy, right? Yes. Okay, so I remember that he had blood all over the, the front of his yes. jersey because they beat the shit out of his face. Right. But Denver still won. And I remember going in and seeing a sign, a handwritten sign on the incubator that said, Go Broncos, <laughs> that the staff put up there for me intentionally. And right. That was a crazy game. Yeah, it goes down in history. It is a historical yeah. game, isn't it? Yes, it, it is. It? Yes. And you got a tat on your arm, on your left arm, a Broncos logo. And that's not like a kid's, you know, wash that thing off tat. Right. That's the real deal, isn't that's it? That's a real deal. When did you get that? About a year ago. Who did it? Uh, Epic Inc. Mark? Is that the guy's name, Mark, that did it? I think so. He actually touched these up for me. So have you ever been to a Denver game? Not since they've been to the new field, no. But you've been to old Denver games? Yes. Nuggets games, Rockies games. My kids were a part of the Rockies rookies growing up. We used to go to Rockies games every weekend when my wife and I lived in Denver. She was born and raised in Denver. I met her in 89. We got married here in Medford, Oregon in 1990. Had my son here in Medford, Oregon. My daughter was born in Las Vegas, Nevada. But yeah, we lived in Denver for, for at least 10 years. In 91, we uh, moved back to Denver. We were there until uh, 
from 92 to October of 93, moved to Vegas. My daughter was born in November of 93, November 30th of 1993, my daughter was born. Ashley Marie Mare, and then uh, shortly after that we moved back to Denver and then we lived there for about 12 years until 2003 when I moved out here with my family. My parents are from here. I have cousins and aunts and uncles that are from Medford. My family's parents are from Denver. Mine are from here. Where did you grow up as a kid? My dad was in the Army, so I grew up a, a lot of different places. Born in Fort Campbell, Kentucky. Uh, went to Meridian, Mississippi, Fort Bragg, North Carolina. My dad, being in the military, we traveled a lot. I went into the Navy in 1980, straight out of high school, got out in 88, did some reserve time. After the reserve time, I went to Denver, met my wife. That's when we first got together, and we, we were together for 26 and a half years. She's upstairs with Jesus, probably harassing him, telling him, make sure my Denver Barker channel's on the big screen on was one she, side of the wall. Is she a hardcore fan, too? Oh, yeah. When really? My, yeah, during the football games, my, the neighborhood would say, oh, no, don't worry about it. That's Patty. The Barkers must have scored a touchdown or she something. She's screaming? They can yeah. hit out in the neighborhood? Yeah, if she could scream. <laughs> and she's probably up there telling Jesus, don't forget, when my husband get up here, he wants a big screen on, on the Broncos channel, and he wants another one on the Rockies oh, channel. So God. we are very hardcore sports fans. And I believe there's a sign at the Colorado border that says, if you don't like Colorado teams, turn around and go home. Really? <laughs> That's a joke that I have. But uh, my son is a big-time Bronco fan. My grandchildren are big-time Bronco fans. My yeah. daughter-in-law is a big-time Bronco fan now. And, uh, you know, bless it to them that I get to come home to them every night. I live with my son and my daughter-in-law and my grandbabies. And like I said, they keep me on track at home, and I really appreciate them being there to support me and help me get through this. They're awesome. They're great support for me. My name is David Mayer, M-A-Y-E-R. You can reach me on Facebook. You can reach me at my phone number, 541-499-4416-44. If you want to talk to my daughter personally, her number is 541-538-0837. You can physically talk to my daughter when she's not in dialysis or at work, I, I imagine. When can we call her? I can call her right now. So a little on hold music for us right now. Da 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 da. Bum 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 bum. Ba dum ba dum ba dum bum bum ba da dum bum 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 ba dum bum 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 bum. Beep beep. Nice, nicely done. That's for those people who like Jeopardy. Here we go, ladies and gentlemen. Let's get my daughter on the phone and let's see what she has to say today. Hey, what's up, baby girl? We're on speaker because we are on the radio. Say hi. Hi, Ashley. It's Mark from uh, Citizen 44 with Mark Ehrensberg. You're on my podcast. It's not live streaming, but I mean, you're live. We're talking to each other for reals, and your dad's holding the phone. And how are you feeling today, Ashley? Um, I'm kind of tired. You just got home from work, Ashley? Yeah. How many hours did you work today? Six. Okay. What time is it now? You went in at what time? 6 a.m. Oh, my goodness. And where do you work? Del Taco. What are you doing at Del Taco at 6 o'clock in the morning? Opening up the store. We open up at 7. You can get a taco at 7 o'clock in the morning? Yeah, we serve breakfast. Oh. What do you serve for breakfast? Like, we serve uh, chorizo burritos, chorizo rollers. We serve uh, bacon rollers, bacon breakfast burritos. We serve bacon scramblers. Um, bacon tacos. What's a bacon taco? It's on a Del Taco shell and it has eggs, bacon, and bread sauce. What do you eat for breakfast in the morning? Do you eat any of that? No. I don't usually eat breakfast. Do you like their food? 
Yeah, I like their queso tacos. What is it called? Queso taco. Which is just cheese taco, right? Queso means cheese. It's a soft shell with, a, with queso on it. Yeah. And then what we do is we put a hard shell inside the, the soft shell and we make it like a bell taco, which is lettuce, uh, meat, lettuce, cheese, and tomato, and we put it inside the soft shell. So it's kind of like a turducken? You're sticking things inside other things? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, your dad's here on the show because he loves you very much, obviously, as you know that. Oh. And, uh, yeah, I know. And we met through Facebook. You know, pain in my butt, but... <laughs> well, of course he's a pain in the butt. He's your father. All fathers are knuckleheads. I'm a father, too. I, too, am a knucklehead. But... He obviously cares very much, and we connected somehow on Instant Messenger. I don't know how. We're friends on Facebook or something. And he uh, he told me uh, what was going on with you, and so I invited him to come over here and just chat it up. I would have known about it. I would have been there. Well, he knew that he was coming. He's known. Did you not tell her? Why wouldn't you tell your daughter? It's not the radio anyway, but why wouldn't you tell your daughter? Oh, my God. Your dad is a knucklehead. So. Yeah, he is. Well, that's why we called you, because this way you're not getting tired, too. So you're, you're still on the show, but you're in my hand. I'm holding you. So, <laughs> which is kind of okay. weird to say that, but I am holding you in. And by the way, you're so small, I can hold you in one hand. Isn't that wild? Yeah. You're tiny. <laughs> you're, you're tiny. Did you live in Denver, too? I did. And did you like Denver? I love Denver. Are you I a, go back, I would. Are you a Broncos fan? Are you a football fan or no? I watch the Oregon Ducks. College ball. Oh, yeah. Okay. But do you have a pro team? I mean, like if somebody forced you to tell them something about something, your dad's looking up into space praying that you would say the Denver Broncos. I'm not a Denver Broncos fan. My boyfriend's the Oakland Raiders. Do those two guys speak at all? Do they know that each other is alive? (laughs) What's your boyfriend's name? Does Chris talk to David and David talk to Chris? Is there some kind of equal footing? Some yeah, they talk. They do? Yeah. They probably have more to talk about being adversaries than they would have to talk about, you know, because then it'd be some really weird bromance between your father and your, your yeah, boyfriend if, in fact, they both love the Broncos. But because they don't, there's kind of an interesting energy between them because they're kind of arch rivals, but they love each other, but they hate each other, but they love each other. So that's kind of interesting. Pretty much. It's a love-hate relationship. Well, I think it all pretty much is. So what are you going to do this afternoon? I have to go with dialysis today. And, and where do you have to go do that? At uh, Real Care Consultant. Is that in Medford? Yeah, it's my doctor's office. Is it a painful procedure? Yeah. What do they have to do? I don't know anything about dialysis. They shove needles in my arms. And what are they shoving in you besides needles. the needle? Well, I know, but what's going through the needles? Is there stuff going out or stuff coming in? They shove two needles in my arm because my blood's getting cleaned. So you're going through like a blood car wash? Okay. A bloody car wash. A bloody car wash. That sounds like a bad horror movie. And and uh, it does. How long does that procedure take? Three hours. Three hours. And how are you when you're done? When you leave, how do you feel generally? Tired. And you pretty much go home and go to sleep um, and yep. rest. Yep. Okay. How's your diet other than the queso tacos that you're eating from Del Taco? Are you treating your body well? Other than that. Fine, you. Okay. Good. Well, nutrition's important, as you know, uh, regardless of what your condition is, but even more so when your condition is not the best condition. So I'm just saying, 
Um, what would you like my listeners to know about you, Ashley? I'm very kind, loving, respectful, sweet. I'm the type of person that if somebody needs help, no matter who it is, I go out and help them. I think about others before I think about myself. That's awesome. And, and I'm going to ask you one more question. What is it you want, Ashley? Just tell us what you want. Uh, to live a long life and not have to deal with dialysis anymore and not have to be sick all the time. I can just get my transplant and just be fine and be able to do things that I want. Yeah, well, that's a pretty reasonable request. doesn't sound like you want anything well, over and above what is just your base level fundamental need is the ability just to yeah. live, yeah, normally, somewhat normally. Yeah. That's why your dad's here. We're going to put it out there, and I know you're already doing a lot of things, and the community is supporting you very well, and your dad's employer, and, and it sounds like people have your back. I actually was kind of willing to be checked out to see if I had compatibility, but your dad said, my kidney is just pretty much an old piece of shit now, so uh, you wouldn't want it. I mean, it's seen some, uh, some action over the last... 56 years, probably not the gift that keeps on giving anything positive. So uh, I'll just go ahead and hang on to mine. And we are appealing to people in, in their 20s here to uh, consider, uh, you got two of them, you know, if you can cut loose with one, that's, you know, the most generous gift that you could possibly give probably in your entire life. So, all right, Ashley, uh, much love to you and uh, get some rest. And, I will. And our thoughts are with you, and, and we'll do what we can, because that's all we can do is whatever right. we can do. Thank you. Say goodbye to your father. Hold on. Love you, baby girl. Bye. All right, David. That was very sweet. You're a Facebook friend. We're friends. Yes, that is correct. We're friends. That is correct. Very much so. Well, that's the show. Hope you enjoyed it. If you want to help our friend Ashley out, uh, you can call her father directly, David Mayer, at 541-499-4416. Remember, he's got a 44 in his phone number, so how could that be wrong? Uh, you can also call the National Foundation for Transplants. Their toll-free number is 800-489-3863. And... Uh, you're uh, a young person who is uh, the bravest person in the world who thinks that they could cut loose with one of two. Uh, you can go to your uh, general practitioner, I would imagine, and uh, inquire about getting tested for compatibility. That is definitely the gift that keeps on giving. Uh, I want to thank Travis for coming by, uh, having that impromptu chat. Great guy. Uh, more fantastic information. I want to thank Sam. Love you, Sam. I appreciate that uh, you're willing to give me the time of day as a 14-year-old, especially uh, the way you do. Very compelling. Uh, I love that we can chat the way we do. I want to thank Pippi for also bringing that kind of light, energy, wisdom to the world. And David, thank you for bringing Ashley to us so it gives us more work to do. We need to be working on each other. That's part of the healing process. And I, I, I'd like to thank uh, Connor. You're a cool dude, Connor, and I, I'm honored to know you, and I, uh, I'm impressed with uh, your path. It's very cool. I wish I knew anything about any of that when I was your age. Didn't know that was possible. 
but it doesn't matter because I ended up doing what I wanted to do in that way anyway. So it's cool to see you getting an early start on your worldly life experience. Okay, that's it. Uh, Remember, this is a listener-supported presentation. Thank you so much for your support. Word your mother's uncle. To find out more about Pippi Kitely, you can visit her online at dropintoinfinity.com. That's dropintoinfinity.com. If whatever you're doing is not working, there's only one way you can change that, and that's to change what you do, 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 change what you do. I am Citizen 44. Connor, where are you calling me from? Thailand. Chiang Rai, Thailand. Wow. You're in Chiang Rai? What are you doing there? Hello. I'm just chilling. <laughs> chilling in Chiang Rai? Is that the name of your new book? You say Chong Rai, I still say Chang Rai, and I know I sound like just a retarded American, but... Oh, sorry! What can I tell you? I'm a retarded American. So is it Chong Rai, not Chang Rai? Yeah, Chiang Rai. Okay. I've never heard anybody say it that way except you, by the way. No. And I've been there twice, and this is your first time there. Oh, I can't speak English well. So, the last time we spoke, you were here tripping out about being there (laughs) and all that was involved with getting there and now you are there and you've been there and how long have you been there what are you talking about a little over a week you look healthy relaxed you're wearing the same Mm -hmm. shirt i saw you in last time second time or three times looks like you might have just taken a shower recently you look cleaned up and ready to go no what time is it there It is 11.47 a.m. 11.47 a.m. on Saturday. Saturday. You got there a week ago. How'd that go? The leaving here and and the goodbyes and all the stuff and the things. It was good. Mother cried kind of. Like, yeah. Uh, (laughs) You say your mother cried kind of. So your mom was crying a little bit before you left. Oh, sorry. Yeah. And I don't know. They, they They were happy for me. It was sad seeing me go off. I went through the, like, TSA, like, security. Oh, okay. Got everything checked and then went and sat down at, like, four-something in the morning in Medford Airport. It was dark out still, and I was, like, too afraid to go and do anything. I was just like, okay, I need to sit here, and I'm not going to get up until, like, they call our flight. No. Because I don't want to miss it, you know? And so then they called our flight, and I went and got on the airplane for the first time in my life. Never been on an airplane before. What? What are you talking about, Willis? Not only have, <laughs> had you never been to Thailand, you've never even flown on an airplane before? Uh, no. Oh, I had never been on an airplane before. What? <laughs> what the fuck? What the hell? What's the temperature where you're at in Chong Rai right now? It's actually not that hot. It is, uh, let's see, 78 degrees Fahrenheit. 78? Oh my God, it's perfect there. Wow. Are you kidding me? 78 yeah. degrees? Wow. Oh, yeah. man. 
tiny little breeze, but like you can just feel it, just barely feel it, and it's just perfect, perfect That's, weather right now. That is so beautiful, dude. Oh my god, your first time on a plane, first time in Thailand. Pretty ridiculous. So, what's it feel like when you get on the airplane? What's that all about? You've never been on an airplane. What is that? What is so bittersweet? I smile on my face the entire time, the entire <laughs> flight, because it was just so cool, so cool being on the airplane. Like I felt like a little kid again. Wow. You know, getting on a train. I, I my first train ride. That's like kind of what it felt like. Was I, I was in that mode of excitement. <laughs> It, it was just awesome. Were you the really only awesome. one on the plane that knew it was your first time on a plane? Um, yes. Nobody else knew on the plane. None of the people working the plane or the people sitting next to you. You were just holding that uh, thing all to yourself. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got to see the sunrise. That was pretty cool. Where? Uh, we were just flying over Portland, I think. And actually... What was really cool about flying over Portland and Seattle was not only the time it took to get there. It was very short, but you were able to see over the the layer of fog. You were able to see like the city lights coming up ah. through the fog. That was stunning. That was awesome. You're never going to see a movie that can replicate anything like that. You are in your nope. movie, dude. That's so amazing. You have all these first time experiences pouring into you in this one little point in your life as you become 18 your whole life is blowing up wow. and that's just getting yeah. out of here that's just getting to seattle let's see and then i stopped over in seattle and it was um like a four hour and 50 minute layover four hours and 50 seattle. minutes meaning almost five yeah. hours yeah so almost five hours wow. um seattle airport was pretty cool I got to take the train around and, you know, walk around the airport for a while. And uh, I found a good coffee shop. Um, I can't remember the name of it, but I had good coffee. So I was like, oh, I, I just need some coffee. So I was like on a mission to get in there and get my coffee. Listen, you're 18 <laughs> um, and you just said, I need some coffee. <laughs> you're already a cracker. Yeah. It's awesome. Welcome to the world. Hello. So, yeah, and then I just went and sat down and kind of did, like, some plane watching and called my girlfriend, and she was excited. She was super excited. My tongue come out all the time. She was just getting ready to go to bed. So, yeah, it, I, I don't know if she slept or what, but... By the way, I see you're sort of, maybe even a little more so now, sporting a, uh, a teen mustache. Oh, Sorry. I want to let you know something. I don't know if your girlfriend has mentioned this, but uh, Thai women don't like facial hair. Oh, sorry. <laughs> How long have you had a girlfriend I, now? Has she ever said anything about your sort of stash? Uh, two and a, almost three years, and no. Uh, she she said no. Just keep it. Just keep it on. Oh, okay. And really? probably because you're mentioning this, probably because no other Thai women can look at me and like, you know, like, oh, look, he's cute. Oh, wait, there's a mustache. You know, there's a beard. Never mind. You are not American. Right. Hey, I shaved all my business off while I was there for boo. Hello. Because we had this thing that happened while I was there that had something to do with hair, which I won't go into the embarrassing details about. Fuck off, motherfucker. But I later did find out that Thai women are not very fond of men with facial hair. No. It's just not culturally the norm. 
So I shaved my yeah. head and my whole face. I looked like a little bald Jewish gay mole. <laughs> and so, of course, I didn't want to keep that look too long. No. But I wanted to show Boo that I was willing to let go of my hair. I wasn't attached to my hair. Oh, okay. And I, I would do that for her. Oh, okay. And it wasn't in exchange for anything, although I appreciated what she did. Maybe your breast is bigger than me. Uh, and that's all I have to say about that. Oh. So... You're five hours in Seattle. That's a lot of coffee and sitting around. Did you read? Did you listen to music? Did you listen to my podcast? Did you call your mom? No, I didn't call my mom. What the fuck? What the hell? I did read a little bit. I just read a couple articles about like the news and stuff and what's going on. And, Versus reading about uh, Thailand where you're going? Yes. I, I actually, your website open with the, the Thailand article. I'm not even kidding. Not even what? kidding. It was already booked on, on the front of my Chrome screen. Are you talking about my the, Google. the thing that I wrote about Bangkok with the pictures? Yeah. Oh. Okay. Is this really what I'm going to be experiencing? Like, is this what's up? You know? No, no. You are not going to be experiencing anything I experienced because that's the beauty of us being humans. There's no way I can have any idea of what you're experiencing, and nor could you of me. But yeah, you could read my words and look at pictures, and that's an interesting two-dimensional perspective into my experience, but I know you're having a stupid good time, and you have a girlfriend there. Second time or three time. Which, as a matter of fact, she's calling me right now. Uh, she wants to go and get lunch. Oh, you want to eat hot dog. So we'll call it lunch. You want to call back at lunch? Yeah. Where are you guys going to go? Do you know? Uh, not sure yet. Probably just down the street to get some food. Yeah, there's like a little, there's a little market. It's like right down the street right here. And okay. And they have really good food. So Again, you're not in Chiang Rai, Chiang Rai City. You're in the province outside of Chiang Rai, correct? Yeah, I'm, I'm literally like uh, five minutes from her university. Okay. Are you at your apartment? Yeah. Take me in real fast. Let's see this place, man. You have uh, to go okay. in anyway. Oh, yeah. Messy what, what's the bed? Just you, messy. I yeah. don't make my bed. I never make my oh bed. Oh, my God. See, there's no way you and I could ever live together just by seeing that mess that you've made there. What the fuck? Holy cow. You live in the same place I did, dude. Everywhere in Thailand, they call them apartments. They're not their hotel rooms. Your place looks just like where I lived for many months. Really? Yeah, they all look the same, dude. This is what an apartment is. It's a glorified hotel room. It, it really is. It's, it's great, actually. It's a nice, you know, cozy little space yeah. that needs to be cleaned. But. No, it's exactly like mine, and mine was always spotless. I never would have fucking seen my bed unmade like that. Never. Never. <laughs> All right. Um, she's getting naggy. Hold on. We're, we're going to go. Okay. Talk to you in a bit. Are you walking? Uh, yes. Good. Or she's going to pick me up on the motorcycle, one or the other. Uh, okay, cool. Talk to you in a bit. All right. Bye. Prince Don, Mr. Prince Don. Yeah, ba da ba da ba doo ba, ba da ba doo ba. 